What is your word worth? I will be addressing this question on today's episode of Kingdom Currents. Proverbs 22.1 states that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Choosing to have a good name, of course, doesn't come naturally. With that verse as the background, I want to take time to talk about something that has been a growing concern of mine for many years and has really come to light over the last couple of weeks. I am referring to the value of keeping one's word. Now, this topic is extremely important in relation to how we educate future generations. That's because too often we think that the most important part of teaching is what we say. However, what we do has a far greater impact on those we are teaching than the words we say. It has been said that the greatest sermon is the one I see, not the one I simply hear. With that being said, let's talk about the value of keeping one's word. We are living in a world much different from the one that my grandfather and father lived in. In their day, written contracts were not as common as they are today. Two people would agree to something and then they sealed the deal with a vow and a handshake. Their word was gold in the bank. Of course, living in a fallen world meant that some people failed to keep their promises. As society became more secular, making a verbal commitment was not enough, and agreements were put into written form. If anyone has ever purchased a house, he understands how one's word has little value in today's world. You end up uh, signing your name, promising to pay for the house. Then you sign another page, promising that you will keep your promise that you just signed on the first page. And this goes on and on. By the time you actually finalize the purchase of the house, you've probably signed your name as saying you will keep your word a dozen or more times. Today's one's word does not carry much weight. It is often assumed that when we make a promise, it, it won't be kept. I have to admit that I've been guilty far too many times of not keeping my word. But but the real problem behind failing to keep our promises is what many have called meism. Life is all about me and what is best for me. I will make a commitment to someone or something, and I will keep it as long as it is in my best interest. However, when something better comes along... It's fine to ignore what I've agreed to and pursue this quote-unquote better opportunity. What makes this even more concerning is that people will even do this and claim that the Lord is leading them to break their promises. The, The lack of integrity when it comes to keeping one's word has become a plague throughout society in general and, and even in the body of Christ specifically. I have personally witnessed this over the years when hiring teachers at different schools that I have been at. A person will sign a contract agreeing to fulfill certain responsibilities for a certain length of time. However, that very same person will come into my office later on and inform me that, quote-unquote, the Lord has opened up another door that I know it is His will for me to go through it. Even by doing that, it means that I will have to break the contract that I have already signed. What is really happening is the person sees another opportunity as being best for him or herself, regardless of one's promise to other people. 
We have seen a government trying to reward this type of behavior by some of its recent actions. Our president has been trying to forgive a lot of young people's debts that they have taken on. What we've got to understand is these young people have voluntarily taken out loans in order to go to college. They had given their word that they would be responsible for this debt and would pay it back. But over the years, many have simply refused to keep their word and have chosen simply not to pay off these loans. However, it's even gone another step now where the government wants to forgive them of these loans. Of course, one simply can't write these debts off. Someone is going to have to pay for them. And here what we're teaching these young people is, you don't have to keep your word. We're going to force someone else who does keep their word to pay for your uh, in lack of integrity. We even see the lack of keeping one's promises in the rising number of quote-unquote Christian marriages that end in divorce. A covenant promise is made at the marriage altar, but when it isn't working the way people thought it should, the promise is broken. Right now, we're realizing that the percentage of Christian marriages that end in divorce is now equal to that of non-Christian marriages. I think one of the most obvious examples of how flippant people are about their commitments can be seen in the area of athletics today. What is best for the individual seems to be far more important than what is best for the team. This is becoming a common everyday happening, especially at the college and university level. Schools enter into contracts with coaches for a certain amount of time. But then these schools end up breaking the contracts that they've agreed to with their coaches and dismiss the coaches, now not for violations of the contracts, but simply because the coach hasn't had enough wins. Now, coaches do the same. Uh, They sign contracts, but then they break them when a better offer from another team comes their way. Over the past couple of years, I have even witnessed coaches signing extension agreements only to break them and move to another institution within weeks after agreeing to a new contract. It is very common now to find quote-unquote buyout clauses in these contracts, and these clauses are used as an excuse to break one's word. I just read where one university will be paying a coach over $10 million for dismissing him before his contract runs out. Schools will also buy out a coach's contract at another school so that they can hire that coach who is under a contract with their word given at the other school. The truth of the matter is that these types of clauses are necessary because we no longer expect people to keep their word or their promises. It's as if the verse in Proverbs reads, great riches should be chosen rather than a good name. It was inevitable that this lack of commitment by us adults would soon filter down into the younger ranks, the player ranks. Now we see what is referred to as the transfer portal being used by hundreds of college athletes to break their commitments to a school and pursue greener pastures that may include simply more playing time or more lucrative deals under the new NIL ruling. See, this new ruling allows college athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. That's where NIL comes from. 
This is leading many of these young uh, men and women to make what is considered important moves or transfer just to make more money. I have noticed another example of meism, which when we get down to it is really all about building my kingdom, even at the high school level. There seems to be more and more athletes posting their individual highlight videos from a game on social media more than highlighting what the team accomplished. The trend to pursue what is best for me can be summed up in three words, compare, compete, and climb. See, individuals approach life with a what-is-in-it-for-me attitude. We are constantly comparing our lot in life with others. If we see someone else being more successful, then we compete with them, trying to outdo them. We climb the success ladder, trying to get to the top. When someone is climbing higher than we are, we will even change to a taller ladder to see if we can surpass them. Behind all of this is the belief that life is all about me and what I want and what I want to accomplish. What we have failed to consider is what impact meism and this lack of commitment is having on our children and youth. As adults are willing to break their commitments because of legal loopholes in their agreements, I wonder how many lives are being ruined because they become victims to our lack of integrity. I can remember reading about a lawyer at a Fortune 500 company in Nancy Piercy's book, Total Truth. Now, this lawyer would be a model Christian in any church. You know, he was a tither. He was very involved in missions. He volunteered all the time. He, he was a godly man. And he was very active in his local church. Piercy writes how this person's only job at this corporation was to find legal loopholes in contracts the company had with others so that the contracts could be broken when the company no longer wanted to honor them. Piercy explains it this way. He seemed to have no sense that his work involved violating moral principles every day. The ideals of truth, integrity, and keeping one's word. He was just, quote-unquote, doing his job. Even the world sees the devastating consequences of meism and not keeping one's word or promises. In an article in Psychology Today, I read the following point. It reads, When we don't keep a promise to someone, it communicates to that purpose, that person, that we don't value him or her. We have chosen to put something else ahead of our commitment. Even when we break small promises, others learn that they cannot count on us. Tiny fissures develop in our relationships marked by broken promises. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy states this, One has a moral duty to keep one's promises because making a promise will lead others to believe that you will do what you promised. Breaking the promise is then tantamount to deceiving those one promised. And since one has a moral duty not to do this, one has a moral duty to keep one's promises. Another person wrote, Is breaking a promise considered a lie? Breaking promises in a relationship or in a contract can be considered a lie if you do it with full knowledge and attention. This is because you're letting them believe that you're committing to that promise 
while knowing you're not. I, I just wonder how often that is what's going on behind the scenes when, when we see people breaking their contracts. It is even more important to understand what the Bible says about how important it is to keep our word. First of all, we must never forget that God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. What he promises, he does. I was reading a blog about this important truth where the author made this statement. This covenant is a wondrous thing because God keeps his word. The more we understand this, the more scripture opens up and reveals the true nature of God. If I am made in his image, honesty should be the stuff of which my promises are made. Truth is the essence of life and faith in God's word is unshakable. He ended his article by asking the reader some questions. He asked, have you made any promises to God lately? What about to yourself about him or to someone who loves you or to someone you love? Have you kept them? Now listen to this, these questions. Are you a covenant breaker or a covenant keeper? Do you believe you when you talk? Do you speak the truth when you speak? Jesus addressed the need for integrity in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. He writes, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your uh, vows to the Lord. But I say to you, take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is, yes, be yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil origin. Jesus is simply saying that we should do what we, will, what we say we will do. Keep your word. The importance of being true to your word is found in several passages of Scripture. Here are a few verses that make this point very clear. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23 reads, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be a sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. I would even say, you shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips or what you write on paper. Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. 1 Samuel 1.11 Here's where Hannah made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all these days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. And guess what? Hannah kept her word. She fulfilled what she promised to God. 
And you may say, well, these are promises to God. But when we promise another person that, we're doing it in a way that should glorify God, that should reflect who he is. We're really making a vow to God when we promise anybody anything. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Deuteronomy 23.21, When you make a vow to the Lord, don't delay in paying it. James 5.12 sort of goes along with what Jesus said. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What what it appears to be saying there in this passage is, if you say yes, but you mean no, or you say no, but you really are going to do the opposite, you're going to fall under condemnation. Jessica Brody makes this powerful statement in an article she wrote about what it means for our yes to be yes. She writes, It's hard to be a person of one's word, a person of truth, in a society where promises are slippery and loopholes are ever-present. But as Christians, we are to reflect Jesus and shine his light in the world. This means following his commands and living the way he would have us to. No more platitudes or empty promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In John's first epistle, he writes, He that says he abides in him, meaning Jesus, ought himself also so to walk, even as Jesus walked. This exhortation means that if someone calls himself a Christian, he should then walk or live the way Jesus did. And guess what? Jesus always kept his promises. What he said, he did, no matter what the cost was to him. If we are going to give our children and youth a biblical education, we must be people who keep our promises. And when we commit to something, we must fulfill our commitment, no matter what offers come our way. Let's live lives that are a testimony to others that we really choose a good name rather than great riches. Thank you for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. May God bless you as you walk as he walked. I'm Holly Barnes, and I work at Northwest Christian School as the Director of Marketing. I want to tell you about Frameworks. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, or homeschool. Frameworks has developed these courses using subject matter experts and curriculum from Summit Ministries, Young Life, Likewise Worship, and many others. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.